0: Welcome to this Uvila Audio presentation of Andrea Norton's The Stars Are Ours, Volume 3, Chapter 4, Ad Astra. Dard lay on his back, staring up into unfamiliar gray reaches. Then a pinkish globe swam into position over him, and he concentrated upon it, eyes, nose, a mouth that was opening and shutting took proper place. How you doing, fella? Dar considered the question. He'd been face down in the snow. There had been peace men creeping after him, and Dessie, Dessie. He struggled to sit up, and the face of that figure above him moved. The little girl, she's all right. You're both all right now. You are the Nordus kids. Darden nodded. Where is here? He formed the inquiry slowly. The face above him crinkled into laughter. Well, at least that's a variation on the old where-am-I theme. You're in the cliff, kid. We saw you trying to make it across the river valley with that copter after you. You managed to delay them long enough for us to lay down the fog. Then we gathered you in. Also, we were a copter and some assorted supplies to the good. So you've more than paid your admittance fee, even if you weren't Lars Nordus's kin. How did you discover who we were? Dart asked. The dark brown eyes twinkled. We have our little ways of learning what is necessary for us to know. And it is a painless process, done while you're asleep. I talked in my sleep? But I'll well, do that. Maybe not under ordinary circumstances, but let our medico get the digester on you, and you do. You've got a pretty hard pull, kid, haven't you? Dard levered himself up onto his elbows, and the others slipped extra support behind him. Now he could see that he was stretched out in a narrow cot in a room that seemed to be part cave, for three of its walls were bare rock. The fourth, a smooth gray substance, cut by a door. There were no windows and a soft light issued from two tubes in the rock ceiling. His visitor perched on a folding stool, and there was no other furniture in the cell-like chamber. But there were coverings over him, such as he had not seen for years, and he was wearing a clean one-piece coverall over a bathed body. He smoothed the top blanket lovingly. "'Where is here, and what is here?' He expanded his first question. "'This is the cleft.' last stronghold as far as we know of the free men. The other got to his feet and stretched. He was a tall, lean-waisted man with dark brown skin, against which his strong teeth and the china white of his eyeballs made startling contrast. Curly black hair was cropped very close to his round skull, and he had only a slight trace of a beard. This is the gateway to Ad Astra. He paused eyeing Dard as if to assess the effect those last words had on the boy. Ad Astra, Dard repeated. Law spoke of that once. Ad Astra is Latin. It means to the stars. And this is the jumping-off place. Dard frowned. To the stars? Not interplanetary, but galactic flight? That was impossible. I thought that Mars and Venus were... He began doubtfully. Who said anything about Mars or Venus, kid? Sure, they're impossible. It would take most of the resources of a willing Terra to plant a colony on either of those. As who should know better than I? No, not interplanetary flight. Stellar. Go out to take our pick of waiting worlds such as Earth creepers never dreamed of. That's what we're going to do. Ad astra. Galactic flight his first wild guess had been right. A starship here? In spite of himself, Dard knew a small thrill far inside of his starved body. Men had landed on Mars and Venus back in the days before the Burn and the Purge, discovering conditions on both planets which made them almost impossible for human life without a vast expenditure which Terra was not willing to make. And of course, Pax had forbidden all spaceflight, as part of the program for stamping out scientific experimentation. But a starship, to break the bonds of Sol's system and go out to find another sun, other planets. It sounded like a very wild dream, but he could not doubt the sincerity of the man who had just voiced it. But what did Lars have to do with this? He wondered aloud. Lars's field had been chemistry, not astronomy, or the mechanics of spaceflight. Dard doubted whether his brother could have told one constellation from another. He had a very important part. We've just been waiting around for you to wake up to get the report of his findings. But I thought you got the full story out of me while I was unconscious. What you personally did in the past few days, yeah. But you do carry a message from Lars, don't you? For the first time, some of the dark man's light-headedness vanished. Dard smoothed the blanket and then plucked at it with nervous fingers. I don't know. I hope so. His companion ran his hands across his tight cap of hair. Suppose we get Tass in here. He's only been waiting for you to come around. He crossed the room and pushed a wall button. By the way, he said over his shoulder, I'm forgetting introductions. I'm Simba, Pilot Astrogator Simba Kimber. He repeated that title as if it meant a great deal to him. And Tass is first scientist, Tass Kordoff, Biological Division. Our organization here is made up of survivors from half a dozen free scientist teams, as well as quite a few just plain outlaws who are not PAX-minded. Oh, come on in, Tass. The man who entered was short and almost as broad as he was tall, but he was sturdy muscle, not fat. It thickened his shoulders and pillared his arms and legs. He wore the faded uniform of a free scientist with the flaming sword of first rank still to be picked out on the breast. His eyes and broad cheekbones had tartar contours, and Dard believed he was not a native of the land in which he now lived. "'Well, well now you are awake, eh?' he smiled at Dard. "'We have been waiting for you to open your eyes.' And that the mouth of yours, young man. What word do you bring from Lars Nordis? Dard could hesitate about telling the full truth no longer. I don't know whether I have anything or not. The night the Roundup gang came, Lars said he had finished his job. Good. Task Kordoff actually clapped his hands. But when we had to clear out, he didn't try to bring any papers with him. Kordov's face was avid. "'as if he would drag what he wanted out of Dard by force. "'But he gave you some message, huh? "'Surely he gave you some message?' "'Only one thing, and I don't know how important that may be. "'I'll have to have something to write on to explain properly.' "'Is that all?' Kordov pulled a notebook out of his breeches' pocket "'and flipped it open to a blank page, "'handing it to him with an inkless stylus. "'Dard, equipped with the tools,' began the explanation which neither of these men might believe. "'It goes way back. "'Lars knew that I imagined words as designs, "'that is, if I hear a poem, it makes a pattern for me.' He paused, trying to guess from their expressions whether they understood. Somehow it didn't sound very sensible now. Kordov pulled his lower lip away from his yellowish teeth and allowed it to snap back. "'Huh. Semantics are not my field.' but they believe I can follow what you mean. Demonstrate. Feeling foolish, Dard recited Dessie's jingle, marking out the pattern on the page. Essie, Ossie, Ixie, Ann, Folsom, Folsom, Osson, Can. He underlined, accented, and overlined as he had that evening on the farm, and Dessie's kicking legs came into being again. Law saw me do this. He was quite excited about it, and then he gave me another two lines, which do not make the same pattern, but he insisted that this pattern be fitted over his lines. And those other lines? demanded Tass. Dard repeated the words aloud as he jotted them down. Seven, nine, four, and ten, twenty, sixty, and seven again. Carefully he fitted the lines through and about the numbers and handed the result to Kordoff. To him it made no possible sense and if it didn't to the first scientist, then he would not have had Lars preciousest secret at all. When Tass continued to frown down at the page, Dard lost the small flicker of confidence he had had. Ingenious, muttered Kimber, looking over the first scientist's shoulder. Could be a code. Yes. Tass was going to the door. I must study it, and look upon the other notes again. I must... With that he was gone. Dard sighed. "'It probably doesn't mean a thing,' he said wearily. "'But what could it be?' "'The formula for cold sleep,' Kemper told him. "'Cold sleep?' "'Yeah, we have to go to sleep, hibernate during that trip, "'or else the ship comes to its port manned by dust. "'Even with all the improvements they've given the ship, "'the new drive, everything, "'our baby isn't going to make the big jump in one man's lifetime.' or in a number of lifetimes. Kimber paced back and forth as he talked, turning square corners at either end of the room. In fact, we didn't have a chance. We'd begun thinking of trying to make a stand on Mars before one of our men accidentally discovered Lars Nordis was alive. Before the purge, he'd published one paper concerning his research on the circulatory system of bats, studying the drop in their body temperature during their winter sleep. Don't ask me about it. I'm only a pilot astrogator, not a big brain. But he was on the track of something Khodov believed might be done. The freezing of a human being so he can remain alive but in sleep indefinitely. And since we contacted him, Lars has continued to feed us data bit by bit. But why? Why if Lars had been working with this group so closely, hadn't he wanted to join them? Why had he had to live in a farmhouse on a starvation level under constant fear of a roundup? "'Why didn't he come here?' "'It was as if Kimber had picked that out of Dard's mind. "'He said he wasn't sure he could make the trip, crippled as he was. "'He didn't want to try it until the last possible moment "'when it wouldn't matter if he was sighted trying or traced here. "'He believed he was under constant surveillance by some enemy, "'and that the minute he or any of you made a move out of the ordinary, "'the enemy would bring in the peacemen, "'perhaps before he had the answer to our problem.' so you had to live on a very narrow edge of safety. Very narrow, Dart agreed. There was logic in what Kimber said. If Foley had been spying in them, and he must have, or else he would not have appeared in the barn, he would have suspected something if any of them had not shown around the house as usual. Lars could never have made the journey they had just taken. Yes, he could see why his brother had waited until it was too late for him. But there's something else. Kimber sat down on the stool again, his elbows resting on his knees, his chin supported by his cupped hands. What do you know about the Temple of the Voice? Dard, still intent upon the problem of the cold sleep, was startled. Why did Kimber want to know about the innermost heart of the neighboring PAX establishment? The Voice was that giant computer to which representatives of PAX fed data, to have it digested and received back the logical directives that enable them to control the thousands under their rule. He knew what the voice was, had had it hazily described to him by hearsay, when he doubted whether any free scientist or any associate of such prescribed outlaws had ever dared to approach the temple which housed it. "'It's the center of the packs, he began, only to have the pilot interrupt him. "'I mean, give me your own description of the place.' Dard froze. He hoped that his panic at that moment was not open enough to be marked. How did they know he had been to the temple? Through that mysterious digester which had picked over his memories while he was still unconscious? You were there two years ago. The other bored on relentlessly. Yeah, I was there. Claudia was sick. There was just a chance of getting some medic to attend to her. If I could show a confidence card... I made a seventh-day visit, but when I presented my attendance slip to the circle, they asked too many questions. I never got the card. Kimber nodded. It's okay, kid. I'm not accusing you of being a Pax plant. If you had been that, that jester would have warned us. But I have a very good reason for wanting to know about the Temple of the Voice. Now tell me everything you can remember. Every detail. Dart began... And discovered that his memory was a vivid one he could recall the number of steps leading into the inner court and quote closely enough every word that the laurel crowned speaker of that particular seventh day had spouted in his talk to the faithful when he finished he saw that kimber was regarding him with an expression of mingled amazement and admiration good lord kid how do you remember everything from just one short visit Darard laughed shakily. What's worse is I can't forget anything. I can tell you every detail of every day I've lived since the purge. But then, his hand went to his head, before then, for some reason, it's not so clear. last of the world would rather not remember what happened since then. You get a pack of fanatics in control the way Renzi's forces have taken over this ant of a world, and things crack wide open. We've organized our collective sanity to save our own lives. And there's nothing we can do about the rest of mankind now, when we're only a handful of outlaws hiding out in the wilderness. There's a good big price on the head of everyone here in the cleft. The whole company of packs would like nothing better than to round us up. Only we're planning to get away. That's why we have to have help with the voice. The voice? Kimber swept over the half interruption. You know what the voice is, don't you? A computer brain, they used to call them. Feed it data, it digests the figures and spews out an answer to any problem that would require months or years for a human mind to solve. The astrogation course, the one which is going to take us to a sun enough like Sol to provide us with a proper world, is beyond the power of our setting up. We have the data... And all our puny calculations, but the voice has to melt them down for us. Dard stared at the madman. No one but a peace man who had reached the rarefied level of laurel wearer dared approach the inner sanctum which held the voice. And just how Kimber proposed to get there and set the machine to work on an outlawed formula he could not possibly guess. Kimber volunteered no more information, and Dard did not ask. In fact, he half forgot it during the next few hours as he was shown the strange honeycomb fortress blasted out of the living rock which served the last of the free scientists as a base. Kimber was his guide and escort along the narrow passages giving him short glimpses of hydro gardens, strange laboratories and once, from a vantage point, the ship itself. Not too large, is she? The pilot had commented eyeing the long silvery Dart with a full-sized frown. But she's the best we could do. Her core is an experimental model designed for a try at the outer planets just before the purge. In the first days of the disturbance, they got her here. Or the most important parts of her. And we've been building up the rest of her ever since. No, the ship wasn't large. Dard frankly could not see where all of the toiling inhabitants of the cleft We're going to find births on her, whether in the suspended animation of hibernation or not. But he didn't mention that aloud. Instead, he said, I don't see how you've been able to hide out without detection for this long. Kimber grinned wickedly. We have more ways than one. What do you think of this? He drew his hand from his breeches pocket. On his dark palm lay a flat piece of shining metal. That boy is gold. "'There's been precious little of it about for the past hundred years or so. "'Governments buried their supplies of it and sat tight on them, brooding. "'But it hasn't lost its magic. "'We have found many metals in these mountains, "'and while this is useless for our purposes, "'it still carries a lot of weight out there.' "'He pointed to the peak, which guarded the entrance to the cleft. "'We have our trading messengers, and we fill hands in proper places. "'Then this is all camouflaged.' If you were to fly across this valley in a copter, you'd only see what our technicians wanted you to. Don't ask me how they do it. Some warping of the light rays. Too deep for me. He shrugged. I'm only a pilot waiting for a job. But if you were able to keep hidden, why at Astra? Kimber rubbed the curve of his jaw with his thumb. Several reasons. Pax has all the power pretty well in his hands now, so the peace men are stretching to wipe out the last holes of resistance. We've been receiving a steady stream of warnings through our messengers and the outside men we bought. The roundup gangs are consolidating, planning on a big raid. What we have here is the precarious safety of a rabbit crouching at the bottom of a burrow while the hound sniffs outside. We have no time for anything except the ship, preparing to take advantage of the thin promise or another future that it offers us. Louis Scott. He's a medical with a taste of history. Gives Pax another fifty to a hundred years of life. And the cleft can't last that long. So we'll try the chance in a million of going out there. And it is a chance in a million. We may not find another Earth type planet. We may not even survive the voyage. And you can fill in a few of the other ifs, ands, or buts for yourself. Dard continued to watch the starship. Yes, a thousand chances of failure against one or two of success, but what an adventure, and to be free out of this dark morass which stunted minds and fed men's fears to the point of madness. To be free among the stars. He heard Kimber laugh softly. You're caught by it, too, aren't you, kid? Well, keep your fingers crossed. If your brother's stuff works, if the voice gives us the right course... If the new fuel Tang concocted will really take her through, well, then we're off. Kimber seemed so confident that Dard dared down to ask the other question. She's not very big. How are you going to stow away all the people? For the first time, the space pilot did not meet his eyes. With the toe of his shabby boot, Kimber kicked an inoffensive table savagely. We can stow away more than you believe just looking at her if we're able to use the hibernation process. But not all, Dart persisted, driven by some inner need to know. No, not all, Kimber agreed with manifest reluctance. Dart blinked, but now there was a veil between his eyes and the sleek, silver swell of the starship. He was not going to further question. There was no need to, and he had no desire for a straight answer. Instead, he changed the subject abruptly. When are you going to try to reach the voice? Soon as I hear from Tass. And what do you wish to hear from Tass? Came a voice from behind Dard. That he has succeeded in making sense of gibberish and kicking legs and all the rest of the fantastic puzzle this young man has dumped into his head? Because if that is what you wait for, wait no longer. The sense has been made, and thanks to Lord Nordus and her messengers, Corda's big paw of a hand, Reached up to give Dard's shoulder a reassuring squeeze. We can now take off into the heavens at our will. We wait only for your part of the operation. Good enough. Kemper started to turn when Dard caught his arm. Look here. You've never been to the Temple of the Voice. Of course not. Tass cut in. Is he completely crazy? Does one thrust one's hands into raw atomic radiation? But I have. "'Maybe I can't work your computations, but I can guard you in and out, "'and I know enough about the official forms to—' Kimber opened his mouth, plainly to refuse, "'but again the first scientist was too quick for him. "'Now that makes good sense, Simba. "'If young Nordis has already been there, "'why, that is more than any of the rest of us have done. "'And in the disguise you have planned, the risk is less.' "'The pilot frowned, and Dard prepared for an outright refusal.' But at last, Kimber gave a half-nod. Tass pushed Dart after him. Go along with you, and mind you, bring him back in one piece. We can do many things among us, but he remains our only space pilot, our only experienced astrogator. Dart followed Kimber along rock passages, back through the maze of the cleft dwelling, to a flight of stairs crudely hacked from stone. "'The stairs ended in a large room holding a copter "'which bore all the markings of a PAX machine. "'You recognize it? "'This is the one that you played tag with out in the valley. "'Now get into this and hurry.' "'From the copter he took a bundle of clothing, "'which he pitched over to Dard. "'The boy put on the man's black and white, "'buckling around him as a finishing touch, "'a belt supporting a hand stun gun. "'Although the clothes were large, "'the fit was good enough to pass.' in the half-light of evening, and they had to visit the voice at night to have any chance at all. He took his place gingerly beside the pilot inside the copter. Overhead, a cover had rolled back so that the sky was open to them. As Dard secretly gripped the edge of his seat, Kimber took the controls, and Dard continued to hold on as the machine started the slow spiral up into the air. CHAPTER Five, NIGHT AND THE VOICE Dard surveyed the country over which the copter flew. It required only a few minutes to cover the same rugged miles across which he and Dessie had fought their way, and he was sure he saw traces of that trip left on the snow below. The machine skimmed over the heights which concealed the cave, and then for the first time in crowded hours, Dard remembered. Sack. It was down this very slope that the messenger had led the chase. Have you heard from Sack? He was anxious to be reassured concerning that small, wary man, but Kimber didn't reply at once, and when he did, Dart was aware of the reservations in his tone. No news yet. He hasn't reported to any of our contacts, which reminds me. Under the pilot's control, the copter swung to the right and headed away from the path Dart had followed into the hills. He was unreasonably glad that they were not going to wing over the charred ruins of the farmhouse. Instead, within a short space, they were circling another farm, one in much better condition than the farm which had sheltered the Nordus family. In fact, the buildings gave such an air of Pax-blessed landsman prosperity that Dard wondered at Kimber's visiting the place. Only a man with the brightest of prospects under the new rule would dare to keep his buildings in such good repair and the volume of smoke curling fatly from the chimney spoke of unlimited warmth and food, better conditions than anyone but a staunch supporter of the company of packs could attain. Yet Kimber set the copter down without hesitation on a stretch of packed snow not too far from the house. Once down, however, the pilot made no move to leave the machine. The house door opened and a man wearing the good farm homespun of an approved landsman, another Foley by all the outward signs the yard. For one wild moment, Dard was inclined to doubt the man beside him, being still more uneasy, when the round, plump face of the landsman was thrust close to the window of the copter. Pale blue eyes and a weather beaten face flicked over them both, and Dard did not miss the fact that they widened a fraction as they passed from Kimber's impassive face to the flashy uniform. The landsman turned and spat at a hound that approached showing white teeth and growling. Time? he asked. Time, Kimmer returned. Get moving tonight if you can, Harmon." Sure, we've been packing some stuff already. The boys got the road cleared. But those blue eyes slid back to Dard. Who's the youngster? Nordis's brother. He got in with the Nortis girl. Naz is dead. A raid. Yeah, heard a rumor they all were that the roundup got him Glad to know that they ain't the truth. Well, be seeing you. With a wave of the hand, he headed back to the house, and Kimber took them aloft. Oh, I didn't think, Dard began, and Kimber chuckled. You didn't think that a man like Hyman would be one of us, huh? We have some mighty odd contacts here and there. We have men who drove ground trucks and men who were 1st rank scientists before the Purge there's Santee. He was a non-com in the old army. He can read and write his name, and he's an expert with weapons. To us, he's as important a part of the cleft as Taz Kordoff, who's one of the world's greatest biologists. We ask only one thing of a man, that he believes in true freedom, and Harmon is going to be important to the future. We may know how to grow hydrostyle. You had a meal or two with us and know that, but an honest dirt farmer will be able to teach us better tricks added to that harman's been our biggest ace in the hole all along he and his wife and their son and their twin girls they've been playing a mighty hard role for more than five years doing it splendidly too but i could well believe that he welcomed my news that it was over double lives are tough going now back to work the copter wheeled and flew due west into a sky now painted with sunset colors It was warm inside the cabin and the clothing about his thin body was the finest he had worn in years. Dard relaxed against the padded cushions but far inside him was a warming spark of excitement an excitement no longer completely darkened by fear. Kimber's confidence in him and the eventual success of their mission was comforting. Below ran a ribbon of road and by the churned snow it was a well-traveled one. Dard tried to identify landmarks but, never having seen the country from above, he could only guess that they were now being guided to town by that same artery which had tied Foley's Holding and the tumble down Norda's place to the overgrown village which was the nearest approach to a pre burned city. Another farm road, rutted and used, cut into the main road, and its curve was familiar. That was Foley's, and it had seen considerable travel since the storm. He thought briefly of Lotta he wondered if she had gone back to the message tree with some food for Dessie, as she had promised. Dessie, hoping he could keep from revealing to Kimber his own secret problem, the one that had gnawed at him ever since he had seen the starship he asked a question. I didn't see any children in the cleft. Kimber was intent upon flying. When he answered, it was with a faint touch of absent-mindedness. It's only two. Carly Scott's daughter is three, and the Winson boy, he's almost four. The Harmon twins are ten, I think, but they don't live at the cleft. Dessie's six, almost seven, Kimber grinned. And a bright little trick, too, isn't she? Took to Carly right away, after we persuaded her you were going to recover. Last I heard, she'd taken command in the nursery quarters. Carly was surprised at how sensible she was. "'Dessie's a pretty big person,' Dart said slowly. "'She's old for her years, and she has a gift, too. "'She makes friends with animals, not just tame ones, but the wild things. "'I've seen them come right up to her. "'She insists that they talk.' "'Had he said too much? "'Had he labeled Dessie as one so far outside the pattern "'that she would not fit into the ship's company "'where a farmer was considered important?' but surely a child's future was worth more than an adult's. Dessie had to be considered. She had to be. Carly thinks she's quite a person, too. Well, that was certainly not committal enough, but although he did not know Carly, her approbation was comforting to Dard. A woman, a woman with a little girl of her own, would see that another little girl would get a fair break. As for himself, resolutely, He refused to think ahead. Instead he began to watch the twilight-cloaked road and think of the problem immediately before them. The copter park is at the back of the temple, and you can't fly over the building. Nothing crosses the sacred roof. Then we circle, no use taking chances. Is the parking well guarded? I don't know, only peacemen get inside, but I think that, in the dark and with this machine, we could brazen it out. Let's hope they don't ask for any recognition signals. I'm going to try to land as close to the edge as I can, and in the darkest part, unless they have floodlights. Town lights! Dart interrupted, intent on the sparks of yellow. The temple is on that rise to the south, see? It was easy enough to see. The lights of the town houses were small and sickly yellow, but above and beyond them were concentrated bars of vivid blue and startling white, somehow garish and out of place against the purple white of the sky. Kimber circled. The temple occupied about a third of the rise, which had been leveled off to form a wide platform. Behind the building itself was a floodlit space in which they could see a row of copters. Ten down there, Kimber counted. The lighting of the instrument panel showed the planes and "'hollows of his face. "'You'd think they'd have more. "'This is a center for their control, "'and they don't do much raiding at night. "'Or at least they haven't in the past. I may now. "'They struck our place last night. Well, "'Anyway, the fewer the better. "'Look, that's a nice long shadow. "'One of their floods must be burned out. "'I'm going to see if we can bring it down there.' "'They lost speed. "'It was something like coasting. "'More like floating.' Dard decided. Then the lights arose about them, and a second later the undercarriage made contact. They didn't bounce. Kimber shook hands with himself vigorously in congratulations. Now, listen, kid. The pilot's voice was a faint murmur. That's a stun gun you got in your belt. You ever used one? No. Doesn't require training to point it and push the button. But you're not to do that unless I give the word. Do you understand? You have only two charges, and I have the same in mind. We can't afford to waste them. Nothing, absolutely nothing, can happen to prevent our interview with the voice. There was a passionate determination in that. It was an order delivered not only to Dard, but to destiny or fortune itself. Afterwards, we may have to fight our way out, though I hope not. Then the stun guns will be our hope but we've got to use bluff to get us in. The peacemen hoarded the remains of pre-purge invention. Dard noted as he matched his steps to Kimber's across the park at an unhurried pace, but their maintenance of such appliances was not promising. Several of the floodlights were out, and there were cracks in the concrete under his boots. There couldn't be too many technicians left in the slave labor camps of the temple gangs. Some day, no copter would rise from this park, and no light would burn. Had the leaders of packs thought of that, or didn't they care? The old cities built by techniers and engineers were rubble, fit only for bats and birds. Now there were only grubby villages slipping back and back, with the wilderness edging down across the field to nibble at man's building. So far they had not met anyone, but now they approached the western gate of the temple, and there was a guard, Dard straightened his shoulders, lifted his chin, and summoned that arrogance of bearing which cloaked a peace man as tightly as the gaudy uniform. Kimber had the right presence as well. He strode along with a damn devil air suitable to a laurel wearer. Dard did his best to copy that, but the boy couldn't quite suppress a half-sigh of relief when the guard did not attempt to stop them, and they crossed the threshold unchallenged. Of course, they were still far from the sanctuary of the voice, and Dard's knowledge of the place would not take them farther than the second court. Kimber stopped and touched his companion's sleeve. Together they slipped out of the direct path of the light up to the shadowed obscurity behind one of the massive pillars. Before them lay the inner court where the commoners might gather, in fact were expected to gather, to hear words of wisdom as mouthed from the august sayings of Renzi by one of the laurel wearers. It was now deserted. After dark, none of those not wedded to the inner peace dared enter the temple, which would make the venture more precarious, since they would be alone among the peace men and might betray themselves by ignorance of custom. Dart's hand twitched, but he kept it off the stun gun. Where's the voice? Dart pointed to the archway at the other end of the inner court. What they sought lay beyond that. But where, he wasn't sure, Kimber went on, flitting from pillar to pillar, and Dard followed on a woodsman's sure silent feet. Twice they stiffened into inanimateness, as others tramped into the open. Peacemen, two laurel wearers, and just as they had almost reached the archway, a third party, Two shuffling labor slaves carrying a box under the malicious eye of a single lounging guard. Kimber leaned back behind a pillar and drew Dard in beside him. Lots of traffic. The whispered comment was tinged with laughter and Dard saw that the pilot was smiling. There was an eager fire in his eyes. They waited until slaves and guard were gone and then stepped boldly into the open through the archway. They were now in a wide corridor, not well lit, broken at regular intervals by open doorways through which came solid blocks of illumination to trap passers-by. But Kimber went on with an assurance of one who had the perfect right to be where he was. He did not attempt to steal a look at any of the rooms. It was as if he had seen their contents a thousand times. Dard marveled at his complete confidence. Now where was the voice? Where was it housed in this maze? He never suspected all this to lie beyond the inner court. They had neared the end of the corridor before Kimber slackened pace and began glancing left to right. With infinite caution, he tried the latch of a closed door. It gave, swinging silently open to disclose a flight of stairs leading down. Kimber's grin was wide. Down here. It has to be down. His lips shaped the words. Together they crept closer to the edge of the stairway and peered over into a cavern where the best lighting arrangements of the temple made little headway against a general gloom. The hollow went deep. It was the heart of the eminence upon which the temple stood, and on the floor far below was the voice, a bank of metal, faceless, tongueless, but potent. Two guards stood at the bottom of the stairs, but their attitudes suggested that they had no fear of being called upon to carry out any duties. And on a curved bench, before a board of dials and levers, lounged a third man, wearing the crimson and gold tunic of a second-circle laurel wearer. The night shift, mouthed Kimber at Dard's ear. Then he sat down on the platform and proceeded to remove his boots. After a moment of hesitation, Dard followed the pilot's example. Kimber, boots swinging in one hand, started noiselessly down the staircase, hugging the wall, but he did not draw the gun from his belt, and Dard obediently kept his own weapon sheathed. It was not entirely quiet in the chamber. A drowsy hum from the internals of the voice was echoed and magnified by the height and width of the place. Kimber took a long time, or what seemed to Dard a very long time, to descend When they were still on the last flight of steps above the guard, the pilot reached out a long arm and pulled Dard tight against him, his lips to the boy's ear. "'I'll risk using my gun on that fellow at the bench. Then we jump the other two with these,' he gestured with the boots. Four steps, five, side by side they crept. Kimber drew his stun gun and fired. The noiseless charge of the ray hit its mark. The man on the bench twisted, turning a horribly contorted face to them before he hit the floor. At the same instant, Kimber hurled himself out and down. There was one startled shout as Dard went out into space, too. Then the boy struck another body, and they went to the floor together in a kicking, clawing fury. Dodging a blow, Dard brought his boots down, club fashion on the other's face. He struck heavily three times— before hands clutched his shoulders and wrenched him off the now limp man. Kimber, a raw, bleeding scrape over one eye, shook him out of the battle madness. Dard's eyes focused on the pilot as the terrible anger drained out of him. They tied the limp bodies with the men's own belts and lacings before Kimber took his place on the bench before the voice he pulled a much-creased sheaf of papers from the breast of his blouse and spread them out on the sloping board beneath the first rank of push-buttons. Dard fidgeted, thinking the pilot was taking entirely too long over that business. But the boy had sense enough to keep quiet as Kimber rubbed his hands slowly together as if to clear them of moisture before raising his eyes to study the row upon row of buttons, each marked with a different symbol. Slowly, with a finicky touch and care, the pilot pressed one, then another, and a third. There was a change in the hum of the voice, a faster rhythm. The great machine was coming to life. Kimber picked up speed, stopping only now and again to consult his scrawled notes. His fingers were racing now. The hum deepened to a throb, which, Dard feared, must certainly be noticeable in the temple above. The boy withdrew to the stairway. His attention as much on the door at the top as on Kimber. He drew his gun. As Kimber had said, the mechanism of the arm was childishly simple. One pointed it, pushed the button on the grip. Easy. He had two charges to use. Caressing the metal, he looked back at the voice. Under the light, Kimber's face displayed damp drops, and now and again he rubbed his hand across his eyes. He was waiting. His part of the job was finished. He was now waiting for the voice to assimilate the data fed it and move in its ponderous way to solve the problem. But every minute they were forced to linger added to the danger of their position. One of the captives rolled over onto his side and over the gag they had forced into his jaws. His eyes blared red hate at Dard. The hum of the voice faded to a lulling manner. There was no other sound in the cavern. Dard crossed to reach Kimber's shoulder. How long, he began. Kimber shrugged without taking his eyes from the screen above the keyboard. That square of light remained obstinately empty. Dard could not stand still. He had no timekeeper, and he believed that he had been there too long. It might be close to morning. What if another shift of watcher and guards was due to come in presently? A sharp, demanding chime interrupted his thoughts. The screen was no longer blank. Across it slowly crawled formula, figures, equations, and Kimber scrambled to write them down in frantic haste, checking and rechecking each he scribbled. As the last set of figures faded from the screen, the pilot hesitated, then pushed a single button far to the right on the board. A moment of waiting and five figures flashed into being on the screen. Kimber read them with a sigh. He thrust the sheets of calculations back into safety, before, with a grin playing across his generous mouth, he leaned forward and pushed as many buttons as he could reach at random. The voice went back into labor again, and he joined Dard. "'That will give them something to puzzle out if they try to figure out what we were after,' he explained. "'No reading that back. Not that I believe any of these poor brains would have the imagination to guess what brought us here. "'Now, speed's the thing. "'Up with you, kid.' Kimber took the steps at a gate Dard had a hard time matching. It was not until they stood directly before the corridor door that the pilot stopped to listen. Let's hope that they've all gone to bed and are good sound sleepers, he whispered. We've had a lot of luck tonight. This is no time for us to run out. The corridor was as empty as it had been on their first trip. Some of the blocks of life from the rooms were gone. They had only three such dangerous spots to cross now. Two they negotiated without trouble, but as they stepped into the third, it was broken by a moving shadow. A man was coming out of the room. He wore a scarlet and gold tunic, with more gold on it than Dard had ever seen before, plainly one of the hierarchy, and he stared straight at them with annoyance and the faint stirrings of suspicion. Pax! The word was hardly the conventional and courteous greeting, it carried too much authority. "'What are you doing here, brothers? These are the night watches.' "'Kimber drew back into the shadows, and the man unconsciously followed him, "'coming out into the corridor. "'What?' he began again when the pilot moved. "'Both his dark hands closed upon the other's throat, cutting off voice and breath. "'Dard caught the hands clawing at Kimber's hold, "'and together they dragged the struggling captive through the archway "'into the dimly lit inner court. "'Father, you come quietly.' Kimber hissed. Well, you don't come at all. Make your choice quick. The struggle ceased as Kimber pulled him on. Why try to take him? Dard wanted to know. Kimber's grin was no longer pleasant. It was closer to a wolfish snarl. Insurance, he returned concisely. We aren't out of this place yet. Now move. He gave the captive a vicious shove, keeping one hand clamped on the nape of the other's neck, as the three moved on toward the outer door and freedom.